Hey, everybody. We are here on this Bold Move Prestige podcast to talk about Moneyball, which came out uh, almost exactly, if not exactly, depending on the day this came out, on its 10th anniversary. It's been kicking around for 10 years. Moneyball is a baseball slash math slash technocrat movie directed by Bennett Miller, uh, who you might recognize as the director of Capote. Uh, which we have got a ball move podcast on and Foxcatcher. Uh, I can't believe that movie came out in 2014. Seems like it just came out in 2018, but that's uh, that's that wrestling movie that I've been wanting to see uh, with Steve Carell. Uh, prompt a lot, a lot of nose pieces in that movie. Uh, but yeah, Bennett Miller based on a screenplay by uh, Steve Zalian uh, or Zalian who wrote Awakenings, Gangs of New York. Uh, and the Irishman, among others, and Aaron Sorkin, uh, who is prolific, known for Sports Night, The West Wing, uh, Newsroom, and also wrote the screenplay for a bunch of Hollywood gyms, including A Few Good Men in the Social Network that we both of those are in the Bald Move archives. If you want to check out our thoughts on those mm-hmm. uh, based on a story by Stan Chervin, which he based on the book Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game by Michael Lewis, who's written a bunch of shit like The Blind Side and The Big Short which was also adapted into Hollywood films uh, starring Brad Pitt. We fucking all know Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, uh, twice the man that he is now in this film. Literally <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, who plays like a 75 year old uh, tobacco chewing baseball <laughs> coach is crazy. <laughs> Robin Wright is there somewhere in the background. Chris mm-hmm. Pratt is like, uh, you know, uh, prior to falling into a pit in the Parks and Rec in his career. And he does a really good job. Nick Searchy, bald, men, bald move fans will recognize him as art from Justified. It's got a really nice cast. A lot of a lot of good mm-hmm. character actors with a couple stars on top. I have never seen this film before. But. I was really familiar with the material because I was a big fan of Bill Simmons while the Moneyball philosophy was sweeping through the NBA system. Okay. Um, people desperate to re, you know, the, the look at these uh, sabermetrics things and looking outside the box and, you know, what are the key metrics for ba- basketball? Like this is taken, this is, this shit's taken over the world in the last 20 years. Uh, so I'm interested in talking about it. What about you, Jim? Have you seen this film? What did you think? Uh, yeah, I have seen it before. I must have seen it pretty close to when it came out because it's been a very long time. Um, and I remember when I watched it being very taken by the concept. Like, it, it this is not your traditional sports movie. This is not like, uh, you know, the underdogs come from behind victory. Although it is that, it's just it. It's different. It's a come from behind victory based on statistics and probabilities and that kind of stuff, Um, which appealed to me because I'm not the world's biggest sports fan, but I do have a lot of like tangential knowledge about sports just because my family was into it. I watched a lot of baseball as a kid um, because my like I said, my parents would watch it all the time. Um, I. Remember the era of Dave Justice, uh, him playing for the Braves and all that stuff before he went to the Yankees. Uh, you know, the, I remember all that stuff, right? Um, so it was like super interesting to me from that era to like see all this stuff behind the scenes and how like kind of, you know, the the math and the money of it work. So I think conceptually it was like a really attractive movie. This second time I have 
a slightly different opinion on the movie because I came away from it the first time really liking it. Just going, man, that was really good. Uh, the second time watching it through, I don't think it's quite as good. I think the the concept and the stuff that appealed to me the first time around definitely still appealed to me and I get the draw of it. But everything else around the edges, I think, is half-baked. I think the movie is worse for not just focusing up on the core concept and trying to like shoehorn in all these sort of Hollywood-esque uh, you know, drama tropes. I guess I can kind of see, but I felt like the it's it's shocking how little the movie has us, it, 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 how little effort it makes in us caring about the main characters beyond the success of their philosophy. And I felt like there's already enough inherent yeah. drama about like, you know, transforming a system that is entrenched and resistant to change and right. like, you know, going against these on. guys like that stuff. Like I don't need a daughter who is worried about her daddy getting fired from his yeah. executive football job. I don't need the, you know, newly married ex-wife and how we feel about that. Cause again, the movie doesn't care about this no. shit. Like that's what I mean by half baked. It's like, it doesn't go far enough in that okay. direction to, to make it worthwhile, but it also still right. includes tidbits yeah. of it so it's pointless I guess the, and, and and the movie is a i i guess it's a little long for what it is it's like two hours and 10 minutes you know not including the credits but like if you take out those five minutes it's a better film but i i, but I guess i also I'm could have watched like, four hours of the core concept like i i i'm so yeah. attracted it's such a unique interesting thing that is the core concept that i wish they had they could have made this into a series uh and i would have been yeah. excited for it but you know they also could have trimmed a bunch of shit out of it yeah, this, it's interesting because it's like the, the core concept, like I said, is inherently interesting and stuff that I'm very interested in, stuff that I choose to kind of read and look at on my own. And I thought the story was well told. Like, this is a tough story to tell about yeah. st- deep statistical analysis and trying to find the real data amongst the, the noise and the inherent conservatism that is built into the human DNA and like how hard it is to overcome um a a prevalent point of view Mm -hmm. and it's so applicable to so many things in life when i was watching this movie like this explains so many things like anytime someone's swimming against the grain and bucking trends in society um and also not for terrible reasons like i think it's good broadly speaking the society is structured this way so it's 10 times harder to change something um, than it is to like get people to just go along willy nilly with something sweeping that violates, you know, norms and uh, uh, conventional wisdom and things like that. It kind of should be hard to, to cause a revolution, but also how deeply frustrating it is when you're the one that's fighting. Like there's a great line where it's like, you know, the first guy busting through the wall always gets bloody yeah you know and why that is like it's it's such a brilliant it, it talks about like there's things about employee man employee management and uh you know leadership and economics and business that are pretty valuable and it's pretty it's i think it's amazing how well these things are delivered in like a two-hour film yeah. and i think the film looks great mm-hmm. there's a couple scenes that uh i think are just a, a amazing in terms of filmmaking like there's this one scene where um i guess i wouldn't have the scene if it wasn't for the daughter but they just contrasted you know um brad pitt kind of like putting it all on the line reputational wise for his daughter with him like angry driving 
on the interstate and he's just like the way they got that shot where it's like he's just in darkness the car's in darkness there's a bright light outside but he is just like kind of like uh you know the last sliver of a moon before it completely goes to new like that's what brad pitt's face is Mm -hmm. and that was a great it's a beautiful shot there's a couple things like that in terms of the stadiums like you know like um the way they're filmed like cathedrals that are yeah, that 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 your places of worship and how you could easily contrast some place like Fenway to whatever shithole the athletics apparently. I think they play in my uncle's seventies basement. I think that's the clubhouse of the Oakland A's is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Just dank cinder block with wood paneling and shit. Um, have you ever I, been I, on I, a baseball field like on the diamond? I I have been on a baseball. I've been on it, baseball well, and in a, a football field in a stadium. Yes. Okay, I was gonna say because. The perspective you get like being at ground level there, like at home plate, because I've done this uh, in the Padres stadium in Anaheim and it's it's an experience like when they shoot the the Fenway Park shot where he walks out onto the field or whatever. um, And it's just like they're showing you the romance of it, right? The majesty of that that field. And he's like, this is this no, no offense to what you got going on there and bumfuck nowhere. But this is a baseball. Park. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah, a this stadium. stadium. Yeah. Uh, it, it's right. Like, and every time like uh, Chris Pratt would go up to bat, I'd be like, "Yeah, I get why this is crazy and nerve wracking." And you've got this big ass wall, hundreds and hundreds of feet out there. You've got this uh, stadium full of people who are either going to boo you out of the room, or they're going to love you by the end of this two mm-hmm. minutes you have at bat. Um, and it's immediate. 30,000 people screaming, yelling, booing, laughing, jeering at the second that yeah. you fuck up or succeed. Right. There's a, an electricity to that, certainly. Even just being in an empty park like Brad Pitt was uh, in that shot. Yeah. They, they do a couple of really good shots like that that impress upon you just like the romance of it, which is part of this yeah. movie. Yeah. The, the the fact that like it's and that's why people love sports, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't like scripted television i mean i i'm sorry i don't like scripted reality i don't like scripted sports like i understand why people like wrestling but it's kind of not for me but like sports when you're really into it it's the perfect drama man because like anything could literally happen like egos humiliated underdogs defeating goliaths uh you know unstoppable juggernauts steamrolling their way uh, experiencing improbable defeats uh fingertip catches leading to victory you know like just just this fucking high high drama and it only works because people take it seriously because if everybody in the world is kind of like oh well we lost better luck next year but no fucking cities get burned through the ground or are on sky you know on cloud nine for for months at a time and the people dress uh, cosplay like it's you know like everyone fucking cosplays it's usually in the context of their favorite you know uh, major league team right uh, yeah, yeah, true. This movie does a good job, even though these guys are people that hold that at one layer of remove, like at arm's length. Like, nope, it's not. It's all the, but you know, like, how can you not romanticize this game or any game? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's strange though, sort of where it's inserted into the movie because they they get this streak going right where they're they're one game away, one win away from breaking the all time win record, right. uh, and. They they have this eleven to nothing lead, and Brad Pitt's like turning around uh, recklessly on the highway to go watch the game because he thinks it's an insurmountable lead. And then, oops! Over the course of like five innings, 
the the Kansas City Royals, like uh, Bo Jackson's not even on the team at the time. So like I don't know how they did this, but they come back and it may tie it up eleven to eleven. Uh and then there's this big drama about like, oh no, this team that has been moneyballed within an inch of its life is not gonna break the world record for well, world record. I don't know. They they play baseball in America, right? Maybe Japan a little bit. Uh, but you know, they're not going to break the all time record for wins. Oh no. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I'm like, I'm thinking movie five minutes ago, you were telling me that none of this shit mattered and any win or any loss on any given day means absolutely nothing. And now you're trying to turn around and tell me that I should be super invested in them winning this game. It's just not working. And then they flip it again right after where they flip it again and they say, yeah, it doesn't matter. The win, a win means nothing. The record means nothing. I know they're trying to like show you that even the guys who pretend not to romanticize this also do. Um, but I, I feel like the movie is a little schizophrenic in that way, too. Yeah, but I think it plays both sides because I think real life is like that. You know, on things like when you're trying to buck a trend, like uh, getting that 20 victory, like being more successful than any of the most loaded, hollowed lineups of all time that were hand selected by the fucking baseball gods that, you know, suck Babe Ruth's dick and polished, you know, I don't know, Willie Mays's ball sack. You, you, you got those guys and, and you have made this Franken roster out of like spare parts and pocket lint and mm-hmm. you beat that record. That's important. But the thing about like bucking a trend is like 10 victories are worth one victory in the old system and one loss is worth 10 losses because it's like you see this time and time again with like, um, you know, uh, female led action movies for the longest time. It's like every time there was a banger, people are like, ah, fuck it. It's an outlier. And every time mm-hmm. you try to put a female lead in action here as uh, a film and it, it failed. Well, if uh, no one wants to go see a female action movie. Um, whereas like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger makes a admittedly a couple bangers, but he also made a couple fucking stinkers and every single yeah. time he made a shitty one, no one's like, ah, fucking, you know, people are tired of seeing him in and it's because it's, that's conventional wisdom. Right. And I think that that's yeah. both sides. It's like that meant something, but like they played and I think it's pretty probable. I think it's real audio from like local and, and national coverage. Like when they. You know, this team that is again has a quarter, 25% or less of the money of the team that they're playing against gets beaten five games in the World Series. <laughs> it's like, well, that just goes to show you that, yeah, maybe you can make some noise in a regular system and maybe you can get all the way deep into play, but you're never going to win a world championship. And if you can't win a world championship, even though one out of 32 teams get to do it every year, then you, with, 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 with 75% of your money tied behind your back, then you ain't shit. People will yeah. say that with a straight face and being taken seriously because of the bias against the new system. And this. Yeah. They so do I a good feel job like it, you have that. to have that. The like the like. Yeah. Like even if you won, it doesn't you like deep down in your pit of your stomach, you know, it means nothing because people still aren't taking you seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a strength of the movie. Um, and I do love when they're they start winning, right? They turn it around. They get this like 11 game losing streak at the beginning and everybody's writing them off. And then, oh. Here we go. We've got eight games in a row. Here we go. We got 16 games in a row. Oh, well, clearly it's all due to the coach, the art, art, uh, fuck or whatever his name is, deserves all the credit here. Uh, Clearly he's turned this, this team around. 
and in reality he's been fighting them every inch of the way that's yeah that to me was one of the better parts of the movie what I thought was interesting um, show, before we get in a deep dive, maybe we should just tell people uh, what this movie is about in case they want to watch it. Um, so this movie is about uh, this concept that came out of the Oakland athletics team in the late nineties, early aughts, early aughts called Moneyball, which was a reaction to the small. So like in uh, there's a lot of, a lot of sports that have salary caps where like every team has the exact same amount of money and you essentially play it's it's a uh, it's kind of like a you know it's supposed to be fair like if you won the super bowl then you get the last pick at the draft for talent next year and everyone's got the same amount of money so everyone should in theory have kind of the same um you know amount of wax at, at the at the at the at the big prize um and it makes dynasties even more impressive like you know what new england did with the patriots um, baseball is not like that baseball. If you are New York city or you are Boston or someplace that's got a, a owner that's got a lot of money behind you, you can literally outspend, mm-hmm. you know, the Yankees in this film have a $140 million payroll. The Oakland athletics have less than 40, like 38 million. Yeah. Um, so like most of the time, the A's are just never, ever, ever, ever going to compete. Um, and like, you know, even if they work their guts out and draft young players, as soon as those players become superstars, guess what? You know, like they said, we're we're being you. There's a line. It's like, you know, we're being used as a, a heart transplant or as a like an organ harvesting operation for rich patients. You know, mm-hmm. uh, hey, they got a We need a heart. They got a good one. Let's just tear it out. And, and what, what can they do to stop? We can't afford to pay these players. Um, and it's, it's it's a it's a tale of Brad Pitt meeting Jonah Hill, which is this young economics grad from Yale who has this statistical way to look at baseball that goes beyond the talent scouts, these old crusty old men that see if guys pass the eye test and the arm test and the crotch sniffing test and all that kind of stuff to to pick out players. And he's like, no, we're Uh looking for people that baseball doesn't properly value. Yeah. You know, guys who are not, you know, and, and they essentially build a team that goes back to back to world series. Um, has a tremendous amount of success um, and has changed the world of sports like this quickly uh, spread to baseball or I mean uh, basketball um, it's there's a lot of stuff in football that could be applied um, but football is also one of the more conservative sports which I want to talk about before we're done it's movie but that's it that's mm-hmm. it can Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill with their spreadsheets and their uh, win above replacement uh, percentages. Can they pick a team for $40 million that can beat a team that has four times that much money? And uh, it's pretty compelling. Uh, Before we get into the rest of the movie, the spoiler, the really spoilery details, let's take a quick break. I think this movie, like um, above and beyond, it's what it is about this this, um, advanced statistical analysis of baseball is also about how you can effectively change people's minds. Sure. And I was so frustrated because I haven't seen this movie. I haven't read this book and I didn't know what Brad Pitt's character was all about. But like he was very frustrating to me because in early goings of the movie, he's essentially just like. Never explain ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're right. The other people are wrong. We're going to ram it down their throats. We're going to like we're not going to get the owner's help to resolve a philosophical dispute between the team's manager and the, and, and the, the front office. We're just going to play hardball. This guy doesn't want to play our players the way we want them. We're going to trade away all of his players. It seemed 
obviously head up your ass. Like that's the opposite of how you want people to affect a radical change. And I wasn't sure like if it was character development or just the movie needing to finally exposit about what the fucking thing it was about. But he mm-hmm. has his radical change in uh, structure in the middle, like the middle of the movie where him and Jonah Hill sit with the start with bottom up from the players like, hey, yeah, you are hitting batting 700 when you swing at these pitches, your percentage plummets to like below 100 when you're swinging at these edge cases. Stop swinging, asshole. The worst that will happen is you're you get a walk, which puts you on base. And goes around to like all the different players and explaining like how you fit into the system to generate runs that eventually earn us points that eventually win us games. And surprise, surprise, they they started getting buy in like this. This is why it's so frustrating. Like one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Art starts getting all the credit for this because he's the coach. He's supposed to be in the locker room doing this shit. He's supposed to be telling these people like. Hey, you're doing this wrong. Fix this problem with your your at bat and you'll get on base more. But he's fighting them. And you see that Brad Pitt, the general manager or whatever, has to come in and be the coach. And and then Art gets all the credit for it. That was that was super frustrating. But also, like, what is his deal? Why doesn't he? Because the guy's basically saying, look, man, you are doing this weird experiment and I got a one year contract. I got to like put this weird like I got to play all these weird positions. And what if we lose and I'm looking for a job this winter? I'm going to coach in a way that I can defend and be like, you know, just GM had this crazy idea. I did the best I could. And what would anyone else do? Like it's a super high risk and high rewards or super high risk, low reward strategy from this guy's perspective. It felt like the natural thing to do was just to get this guy a three year contract or something. Mm hmm. Or bother to explain what you're trying to do. Like, right. why did he just want to break? I don't know. Like, there was there was also something about like Brad Pitt not wanting to have personal relationships with players, not wanting to travel with the team. All that shit got reversed by the end of the movie. But I, I and I felt like that was the the reason for the success as much as anything. And the movie doesn't really deal with that. You know, yeah, there's like that that part in the middle where art is is fighting uh, the change and you kind of see uh, the movie wants to make the comparison between like not getting into relationships with the players because you'll have to let them go or trade them or whatever. It, but then it goes right to the coaches with whom he is forced to have relationships. He has to talk to other managers and scouts and coaches. And, and he won't cut art which seems to be the thing to do right get okay if your coach is actively fighting you sideline the coach get somebody else in there like he has no problem promoting some fucking intern or something to head scout just just to humiliate the the other scouts and show them right right who are also fighting him but yeah but he won't do it with art and i didn't know if that was some kind of them saying oh well his relationship with art is getting in the way of the pure money ball here and he should be doing that but then you know he he finds creative ways around it, but I didn't see why he didn't solve the problem by getting art out of the, out of the picture, out of his way. Right. I could like the owner all but said, what is like, you know, Oh, this is your goal. Well, what's your obstacle? The goal would be like, well, you know, me and the coach don't see eye to eye. And it's not like asking the remote manager to settle the hat. I mean, maybe that's just not done in baseball, but you know what else is not done in baseball? Trading all your stars like three weeks into the season yeah. to force the coach to play the roster you want him to play. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like 
oh, I'm sorry. It's going to hurt someone's feelings if you go and you tattletale to the owner. If the owner wants to win, like, make your case. And if the owner doesn't see it, then the owner doesn't see it. But, like, it just is just weird. Like, all this um, boardroom swashbuckling, macho bullshit. Like, I was, mm-hmm. like... It was just starting to grade, especially since by the, the 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 middle of the movie, that stuff all went away. But the the movie didn't make a point to be like, oh, well, this isn't working. Because the other thing is like, it all worked against Brad Pitt's favor, uh, his character, the general manager's favor. Like the fact that he doesn't travel the team, the fact that he doesn't even watch publicly, doesn't watch the games. Mm-hmm. Like, look at this uninvolved cerebral egghead. That is trying to yeah. do this stats based bullshit. He doesn't even give a fuck about the team. He's got no passion. He's got no heart. None of those are true, but he leaves himself open to these accusations because of the way he conducts himself. And like I said, I, I, I noticed there was a change, but I felt like maybe we could have stolen some of that uh, pointless daughter scenes, uh, the pointless ex-wife scene and like put into like him realizing yeah. that he needed to dig deep and put because because I just felt like he hadn't he was asking so many other people that had much more skin on the game to put their careers and their livelihoods on the line. And he's kind of like, eh, well, you know, maybe I'll get fired. Maybe I'm not, you know, I gotta, yeah. Well, I, I mean, he's, it, it, so I think the one thing, the human drama that this movie does focus on, uh, that pays off, I think is Brad Pitt's, uh, former baseball career where he's approached in the late seventies by talent scouts saying, Hey, you've got real talent here. I want you to come play for the New York Mets. And he has to choose between doing that or going to Stanford um, full boat. Yeah. On a scholarship. Yeah. And he chooses to play baseball and then he gets into the major leagues and just completely flounders. He, he can't right. hit, he can't do anything. Um, he finds out this is just not for him. Um, Cause he's not as confident as he thought he'd be at bat. Um, and so you've got this guy who I think is trying to keep himself from getting emotionally attached to the game as well. Like mm. he, it, it it's strange because like at some point he becomes a talent scout and then he becomes the general manager of this team. Why is he doing that if he's trying to keep himself from becoming a real part of this game again? Why didn't he get into a different career? Why didn't he go do something else? Take the all the money you made as a baseball player because you were definitely making That's money even I'm if you weren't thinking. good and go yeah, to fucking Stanford after you're yeah. out. Yeah, my only thing is like, did because like I also thought the movie was nebulous about exactly what happened. Like, did he get drafted very highly, in which case he should have been very well paid? Yeah. Or did like he just not go and no, I don't think that's true because that was one of the tests he had for Jonah Hill. Is like, where would you would you draft me number one? And he goes, no, nah, I'd pick the bottom I mean, of the ninth or whatever. Even the guys with fucking nerve damage in their arms who can no longer do the thing that they've been yeah. paid to do and hired to do are still making yeah. like two hundred and fifty k a year. So it's not like Agreed. any of these guys are going to be poor. You can take so, one year's salary and pay for your Stanford tuition. So I, I don't I know why agree. he doesn't do that, but he didn't. In real life, right? Billy Bean is a real person, so you kind of have to go with that. Right. But there's the also, movie I thought does they take liberties. Good, I thought they did a good job of explaining that when um, I, uh, they had the talent coach have that speech about, we're all told at some point that you got to stop playing the kids' games. Mm-hmm. Some of us get told that at 18. Some of us get told that at 40, you know, but it all happens. The, the question is, are you ready to have it happen to you right now? I think that explains why he got into baseball because he probably did have enough money to go to Stanford. It doesn't seem like he's hurting for money. It's just that he had to, he couldn't hack the game. He wanted to be a scout because he wanted to, you know, 
keep being a part of the thing. It's the same reason, you know, the Roy Kent situation happened this, this yeah. season on uh, uh, for uh, sure. <laughs> Ted Lasso, like that's hard to give up that cheering and adulation. And but, th- but then he keeps himself at arm's length, right? By not watching the games, by not talking with the players, by being a pure stats and, you know, results driven kind of guy. Um, which I, I don't know. I mean, the movie does a pretty good job at telling you that that's exactly what he's doing. He's got this emotional weakness, I think, for the game. And so he masks it with an emotional distance from the game, which I think, you know, because they show that he does have an emotional attachment to the game, that scene where Jonah Hill takes him into the video room and shows him this like 240 pound uh, batter who like hits a home run, doesn't realize it goes to first base, starts rounding it, trips over the the base, ends up on his face. And then like army crawls back to the base to, to make sure he doesn't get tagged out. He doesn't even realize he hit a home run. I think that's why that scene works because it cracks, uh, Billy's defenses um you know he set up this emotional wall and this distance from the game but man you combine the the record that they just broke all-time baseball record um with then like you know seeing Fenway Park and stuff uh those wins though that series of like emotional highs I think works pretty well because you can tell that Billy is invested in the game he just doesn't he doesn't want to get too invested yeah, and I, I guess that's the part that I, I'm I'm trying to I'm having difficulty explaining is that I thought there was a nice through line of like everyone getting on board with his philosophy, but mm. also him making little concessions. There's a little bit of that, like the uh, the fact where he went to their aging star, their Roy Kent, and like you know got his buy in. Like, look, you know, I'm wanting you to be a leader. You know, like you need to lose the ego because you're not you're not the 27 year old phenom that got the seven million dollar contract. You're the guy that the Yankees paid me three and a half million dollars to take off their fucking hands. Mm -hmm. And you're essentially playing for free uh, from my perspective. But I you know, you want to win more games and I want to eke every last ounce of like he made that. And also the idea that like, okay, you can take this money ball philosophy too much, like to have Mm -hmm. your stars pay a buck for a soda. Yeah, it just start to seem like, you know, there's there's a difference between lean and mean and skinny and pissed. And when you're having these guys like have to pay for like their snacks and their like, I've always thought that was a horse shit. If you go through the break, like especially, you know, this is the difference between like fucking blue collar and white collar. If I ever went into like an office job, a programming job, and there was like charging me a, a, a buck fifty for Cokes and stuff, I'd be like, the fuck is wrong with this place? They should have a a fridge stocked with Mountain Dew, like caffeine equals productivity. What the hell? <laughs> and like sometimes outfits can get like too focused on that. But I felt like yeah. maybe I don't know, maybe it's all show and no tell. And the fact that I got it at all, I felt like they needed a little bit more to show that like Brad Pitt had to change too. like the second. It, it wasn't just um, the second he abandoned the stupid, just like wall, like iron curtain philosophy and mm-hmm. showed that like hey i'm i'm in this with you i've got like i said skin in the game i felt like the movie had a much much more closer through line to the team kind of coming together and um yeah and 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 getting on board with everything and it showed also i think it did a pretty good job of balancing the idea of moneyball versus like a traditional 
approach or like a people first approach because you do need other skills aside from just stats analysis right you you can pick all the right players based on how many do they they get on base uh you can you can do that all day but then you get a guy like jeremy giambi um who Mm -hmm. i look i've only i only know anything about him because i've seen this movie so maybe he's nothing Mm -hmm. like this but he was clearly wrecking the team right he was causing all sorts of problems in the locker room um and he was just not supporting the team in the way they needed to be supported so you make a, a human decision here and you get rid of him um i think the movie shows that like okay he might be the right guy in the moneyball formula but he's not the right guy in the locker room yeah yeah and and that's stuff that you do like because that's the thing is like i don't think the answer is to get rid of instincts and to get rid of the human factor right it's just that it shouldn't be the only thing yeah. You know, um, you shouldn't be able to like and, and also it allows things like, well, they passed the eye candy test, which is essentially they look like a baseball player, which is an economic you know, this guy concern, throw, right? This guy throws funny. I don't like him. Or this guy's got a, a, a big belly. Well, he's a catcher. You know, I you always need him, love you need him to get on base. I love the big weird. fat guys, too, man. Or, or the pitchers who like throw you know backwards and inside Hell out yeah I, I love that shit that would make me go to a game i don't know why they don't like the guys who throw funny if they're good my fondest years of a cults are those times those few years where we had an actual fucking jumbo package we had a big fat fullback <laughs> we had a big hefty quarterback that you pull peyton out of and you just fucking fucking smash the goddamn ball and do the guy i don't know why the hell we ever never got got because it's not like you pay, you pay an arm and a leg for a 300 pound fullback or whatever. I mean, damn, like I, yeah, yeah, sidearm I, pitchers I are, are eye candy to me. I love that shit. Yeah, I, I think that um, but it's like you've got this and I read this article, too, and I was researching a film about like that. This philosophy has gone everywhere. And um, there's someone using it to critique like uh, Navy recruitment uh, or uh, Navy promotion pro- uh, practices that like one of the things that a naval yeah. officer requires and their paperwork is an updated headshot. Oh, what? An no, updated hand a job? headshot. Oh, <laughs> because one of the one of the criteria for evaluating officers is do they look like an officer? And like, <laughs> what the fuck does an officer look like? You know, I, you know, you say that. But when we in the beginning of this movie, when Brad Pitt is talking with the owner of the Oakland A's, I looked at that guy and I said, that looks like a baseball team owner. That guy looks exactly like a fucking baseball team owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like that's like that can like what is an officer like? You know, maybe you're yeah. like, well, we don't want to a fat slob, okay? Because sure. we are a, fi- a war fighting, blah blah blah. But like, probably officer looks pretty white, you know, right. pretty. So like, there's a lot of things that an officer might look like that have nothing to do with how officer like they are. And um, I think that was another thing is that that you know you got as people. Um, judging people on like their charisma or like their pure, like you see this in football all the time where people fell, fall in love with arm strength and like, well, the guy's a basket fucking case, but mm-hmm. he can throw the ball over the fucking mountains like Cousin Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. Um, that kind of stuff, the fact that that was being overvalued. And that's a great scene in the beginning where you've got all these crusty old fucks and they're all talking about, they got these like cutesy conventional wisdom sayings about this, that, and the other. And it's, and he's like, well, this is just bullshit. And the idea like, well, we lost this player, this $17 million player to the Yankees. We need to replace him. Like, well, there's you can't do that. Like, even if you could find yeah. the guy, we couldn't afford him. We have to think outside the box. 
I really like that. I just wish that the movie had him do a little bit more, you know, instead of playing hardball with the coach, like take him as, but I guess this movie is already kind of lacking in drama because, Mm -hmm. because since it is a real life, you know, if this was a Hollywood, pure Hollywood production, they would have won the world series, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's only so many embellishments you can do here. This so so like the real life is like they peaked with the twenty year run and they that or the twenty game win streak and they got to the World Series twice in uh two years and you know that's that's pretty but it's like that isn't the structure of a a real sports like their world championship is essentially the twenty win streak which the characters main characters all immediately agree doesn't mean shit mm-hmm. so like they they're it's kind of amazing it works with what they are left with but like. Even when I was frustrated with Brad Pitt, he's so charismatic yeah. that like and funny with the shit he's saying to these old fuckers and like the, you know, also, I thought the other thing that this film does really well is show how fun it is to just wheel and deal. Sure. I, I will admit I couldn't follow that scene. Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't. But like the idea that like he's building advantages and like the he's got, you know, this is where his like extreme remove from the players um, helps him. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you know, like there's nothing more fun than to go into like a car dealer what well armed with how much a car's worth with like three solid offers from other dealers and have them compete. And you don't give a shit whether you like you don't you're not in love with this car. This isn't a Corvette. This is just a fucking minivan. You're and you're wanting the best price for it. It's tons of fun to wheel and deal over things that you're dispassionate about. You know, yeah. like if you can, if, if you make it, it's not personal, it's just business, baby. Let make met the other guy or gal sweat and get flustered and and you know, and I I felt like that's that 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 nails it that when when you actually get something like this complicated trade to pull off and just like how fucking amazing it feels, yeah. um, yeah, made it even if I I couldn't quite follow because I don't know the players and I don't know what they're trying, but broadly speaking, you know, he's offering this other team that's like ninety percent of the value of what they were wanting to get from this other team to make him pump the brakes on this other deal. So he's cut the knees off of that and then he's negotiating. I, I thought like it was selling players for future profit to to buy the player needs now. I yeah. Yeah. It's confusing yeah, to make the cash work. And mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. I, that's the other thing is like, why don't why doesn't baseball have a salary cap? Why do you if you are a, you know, uh, a, a, a small market team? Why do you get excited? Because your team is never, ever, ever going to win the World Series. Or if you do, right. it's going to be one of those like hundred year exceptions that everybody gets, you know, excited yeah, about. Cubs. Although they're not a small market team, I don't, I don't know why the yeah. Cubs had such a bad run. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't bad know. Management. That's the other thing. Is like, yeah, yeah, for sure, money can't win the game for you. Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't have enough money, you're probably not going to. Yeah, it's not yeah, a guarantee. Lack of money can lose it for you. It's a prerequisite. It seems like. Seems like it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, that's the case. You know what they need? They need to take money ball to Hollywood. I wonder how Brad Pitt would feel about a salary mm. cap. Although I know he took a a cut to get this movie made. He took a cut to his salary, which is probably astronomical. This movie cost $50 million to make. I'm sure at least 20% of that was going to Brad Pitt. Probably. Probably. It's just, it's hilarious to me as an actor to go in and play this, you know, Moneyball character when 
if they applied Moneyball to your profession, you could get like five Giamatis for one pit, right? And, and problem, five Giamatis would make a hell of a cast. The problem with that stuff is like, uh, and it's funny because uh, this is when I was uh, a big sports fan and thus a big Bill Simmons fan. He used to talk about this all the time, like the the fact that like River Phoenix dying makes Leonardo DiCaprio's career possible because Hollywood doesn't usually have like five Leonardo DiCaprio, like, you know, five of a particular blonde chiseled. Well, you know, like they usually mm-hmm. have. A, a couple of these slots like there's a couple of like the primo character actor slots there's a couple primo uh, leading man slots it's not like there's like you know uh 36 hollywood teams that have 22 players per roster and a farm team of 40 like that's the old hollywood system but mm-hmm. like the new system it's like it's it's hard because like usually when hollywood has a slot filled that's it like in you if you're the second best banana then you're just comp you're just competing for whatever the other guy can't doesn't have time to do well, I feel like, um, but, you know, paying Brad Pitt $10 million or whatever he makes um, yeah. for film, you could probably pay a guy $8 million and get 95% of what Brad That's Pitt true. brings or, or pay That's him true. $2 million and get 95% of what Brad Pitt brings, right? Yeah. I feel like there's, there's some optimization they could do. I know it doesn't work that way, but that's what I mean. Like, you know. I always wonder about roles that actors take if they're thinking meta like that. Like, hey, if this were applied to what I'm doing right here and right now, how would I feel about it? Well, so I want to talk about that because like this advanced statistical analysis, the end of the movie kind of has the dark flip of side of this coin, mm-hmm. which is so Brad Pitt turned down the $17 million contract to go be general manager of the Reds and Red uh, Sox. or the Boston Red Sox rather yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of small market shit teams toiling in obscurity, the Reds. Yeah. Um, but he gets the, you know, he turns on that offer and the movie helpfully informs us that two years later, the Boston Red Sox snapped their hundred year losing streak, the Bambino's curse using the advanced statistical analysis, uh, pioneered by this guy. They just hired the, you know, the next leading guy hired, you know, the, and they hired that, the guy uh, who wrote the book on it, I think. Did they? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that sucks for Brad Pitt because he was vindicated, but now the rich guys are using it. And that's the thing. It's like once you, so you get a big edge because all the big guys are using conventional wisdom and the old crusty eyeball approach and they're missing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get an advantage from doing that statistical analysis, but once everyone starts to do the statistical analysis, the edge disappears. And yeah. now you are just competing the red, the, the, the red Sox and Yankees now know exactly how much the best players are worth. Mm-hmm. and are not making mistakes and now what does that leave a small so like do you work harder you try to find ever slimmer edges you can but like it's a race to the bottom it is and i feel like that's something i don't i don't know what the answer is and uh you know but i'm looking at it in 2021 and i feel like a world of sabermetrics and just-in-time manufacturing has led us to like we used to have big fat cushions on things important things like medical supplies and you know, stuff like that. And now we have like this, this thin skin, like it's an apple. That's how much cushion yeah. we've got. And it's, it's, but, but the argument is like, well, you know, why would you not, if you find these advantages, why wouldn't you reek out every bit of money uh, and efficiency you can in this system? Why would you like leave slack capacity on the off chance that something might happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Cause that's a good, that's a fucking good compelling answer too. like, why would you be intentionally un- inefficient just so, 
in case of war or fucking uh, environmental catastrophe or pandemic or I don't know, all fucking three at the same time, you would have, you know, like people like you're not having food shortages and and supply shortages. But but that's the thing is like, so what what is Brad Pitt's ultimate reward? Congratulations. You priced yourself out of the market and you turned down your chance to get rich. Yeah, you got your name in the history books, I guess, you if did, you care yeah. about that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And that's the thing that this movie, I think. Ignores, though, maybe not necessarily to its detriment. It It is very much a cheerleader for Moneyball. It says Moneyball is the way of the future. Moneyball is how things should work and the best way for underdogs to get a leg up. It doesn't then follow that along and say, OK, what happens, like you said, when the bigger teams start doing the exact same thing? What happens to the players when they get money balled out of bigger salaries? Like, does this, mm-hmm. it, what are the downsides to money ball? I guess is the question I had coming out of this that they'd never even attempt to address in this movie. I had questions like, too, like they're saying no bunts, okay, or, uh, you know, and walks are fine and no stealing bases. And it's like, well, if you outlaw the funnest, the, the flashiest, most high drama aspects of the game. Yeah. Like is the is game that like that's the baseball? thing when people said they're ruining the game, like maybe they are. Mm-hmm. Um but also maybe the game should be changed the rules should be changed to to keep the exciting things in, you know? Um but there again, that's like uh so uh, a constant frustration with me in football. So there have been tons of statistical analysis done. It essentially says, in very, except for very rare cases, maybe pinned deep, deep in your, your own territory, you should never, ever, ever punt the ball in football. The fact that the average play in football gains three yards, the fact that you only need 10 yards to get a first down, the fact that there's four downs in every set uh, shows that like if you just you're giving away 25% yeah. of your chances to get those 10 yards every time you punt. And a lot of times if you do, you know, they, they've got this thing of like um, uh, percentage of chance to win a game. Like every time the team punts like this, the computer spits out that they just massively, you know, gave away a big chunk of a chance of winning the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and with I think there's been a few times like I feel like Ron Rivi, R- R- Rivera down in Jacksonville, like or uh, might have like experimented late in a failed season, not punting. But even then, he didn't go all the way because like you should. The, the, the key thing to doing a strategy like this is you got to do it all the fucking time. Yeah, there's a brilliant line in the movie where it's like the percentages are in our favor, but it doesn't mean that every at bat is going to go our way. Just like when you're counting cards, it doesn't mean you're going to always win. Mm-hmm. It just means you have a one and a half percent chance more of winning than losing. And over a long enough stretch, if you have a big enough pot, you won't bust and you'll take the casino. But a lot of people don't understand that. So like Ron would. Yeah. When when Jonah Hill says like. uh, We don't have a large enough sample set. I was like, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Okada Wookiees and Chaz at Riverboat Ron. That was his nickname that season because he's like the Riverboat Gambler. (laughs) But it's not a gamble. It's the sure fucking thing. And the the, the first time a team commits to that. Yeah. To not because that's the thing that even Ron, like when the game was close and like he would really feel the heat for a failed punt attempt. He mm-hmm. always reverted back to conventional wisdom, but that's where you're giving away. That's like that's like playing, keeping the count, but then like disregarding it if the but cards look really down. good. Right. Exactly, Being like it doesn't feel down. right. You have to. That gives you the edge. That's the that's thing. what gives that's you the whole yeah, ball game. And, and and not split. Like, well, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna count cards, but I'm not gonna split when I when when it's favorable right. to do so because because it's scary. You, 
Right. And like, there's going to be a guy that does that and it will change the game of football forever. They're probably do do away with punting. There's a lot of reasons to do it. Like, you know, like if you want to punt, why not just like have an automatic 30 yard advancement on the other side? Then you don't have people getting, you know, these, this is the highest velocity impacts is when people are kicking off and stuff. And like, you just get eliminate that part of the game. Um, punting sucks. It's all like, but nobody does it because football is one of the most fundamentally conservative sports in, in America. When are we going to get um, rid of like active coaching during games? Cause I feel like you could just spit the play, put the plays into a computer and it could spit out the optimal play for you. And is that, that what people want? Cause that's the thing is like, we're talking about boring, sports right, right now because mm-hmm. the other thing is like, what, how far do we apply this in real life? Yes. Like there's a lot of talk in like startup communities of like, you know, finding the underpaid executives and programmers and like what are, you know, what what key metrics are we missing with employees that are, you know, everyone's like, you know, they see a success of a startup like, oh, how can we copy it? But like how much of this stuff that, you know, is interesting when in terms of winning a game that doesn't really matter, how much of this should we apply to real life? Um, and I think you can go too far with that. I'm, I'm not even talking about necessarily like hiring a promotion. I'm talking about mm-hmm. micromanaging things. Like you said, that yeah. thin skin philosophy, right? Of just optimizing to within an inch of its life. Um, how far is too far? Because there's always a human element too, right? The, the money ball didn't work on its own. You had to have Dave Justice in there championing the, the team and, mm-hmm. and getting everybody to get on the same page and know each other. And you had to get rid of problem players it, it wasn't something where statistics could solve every problem so i feel like there is a tendency in modern society to go down these technological uh it, you know almost robot like avenues uh and mm-hmm. say that people are all the same and that every you know cog has its place in the machine and that might not always work yeah, I mean, we're going to see this in real time with like self-driving cars, like self-driving cars are almost certainly going to be safer than, you know, human piloted cars. But every single time it involves a multiple fatality, a Tesla or yeah. whatever is involved in a multiple fatality in a highway, there's going to be people screaming for blood because the computers are killing people. 20,000 people die in this fucking a country every goddamn year to People texting and driving, drinking and driving, sleeping, you know, not getting enough rest, just make doing stupid shit. But like the one time the computer fucks it, it's people are going to lose their mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like I said, for every, you know, every hundred miles of safely driven road, no one's going to, you know, say anything. But like one single fatality. There is, like I said, that's like, I think it's good. There must be a hell of a survival incentive for this stubborn conservative streak in the human nature. Because it's good. Like, you know, if someone's like, hey, look at this fucking berries I found, guys. Let's just fucking all eat them right now. Rejoice. We found a new type of red berry. Wait a minute. What if it's poison? I don't give a fuck. It's like there's a good reason we probably don't just jump on the latest and greatest things. And we intensely favor things that work for us in the past. And we're uh, we abhor things that hurt us in the past. That's all good. But like, well, we're also, you know, intuition and and um superstition based in a lot of cases where it's not warranted and True. i think that self-driving car thing is is like nail on the head because there are just scopes of data and scopes of knowledge that the human brain is equipped to process well and then there are scopes that are well outside that that are just as valuable but we can't quite get our meaty sure. minds around them right you you need some silicon in there to to mm-hmm. process a huge amount of data um in a way that 
organizes it and makes sense. And it there is this this gulf between what the human mind feels and intuits versus what could potentially be the reality of the situation and bridging that gap, which is I think the most effective thing that this movie does is it shows that bridge where it's results driven, right? Like once you see it, it, you can look at all the data and you can look at all the numbers and say, yes, this on paper makes a a ton of sense. But until you see the results that that are based on that data, the human mind does not want to accept it. And Mm -hmm. that is becoming more and more of a problem. I mean, we're, we're dealing with that problem right freaking now. We've got a pandemic going on where we could effectively eliminate this thing if everyone were willing to just go with the thing that science says makes sense even if it doesn't make sense to them personally um and yet we're having a hard time overcoming that gap yeah it's like jonah hill says the fundamental misunderstanding is that people have an imperfect understanding of where runs come from we have an imperfect understanding of where a lot of things come from and we are Mm -hmm. very bad at analyzing risk and I mean, that's something that like I, I was a hobby horse of mine on the my three right turns podcast, but something I genuinely believe, like if you want to do like money ball in your own personal life, just follow expert consensus. Yeah. Every time they, you have a they're question doing this every day, like where should you invest your money? Like mm-hmm. expert consensus says you should do it in 401k and IRA and mutual money market. And you shouldn't take Index like wild funds. swings on things like Bitcoin and AMC and game stock. But, you know, people on the Internet can say that. And like, you know, what should we do in a pandemic, you know, wearing masks and social distance and vaccination? Or should we take, you know, uh, uh, anti-parasitics and stuff that's off label use? Um, If you know, it's not to say like like what they said is like that doesn't mean every at bat's going to go your way. Right. It's just you're doing the best to maximize your overall potential for success. Mm -hmm. And this just goes time and time again. Like how much should you pay for a house? There's formulas for that, you know. And the banks are not using those formulas. The banks are using how much they can get away with loaning you so they can maximize their return. But they're not thinking about maximizing your personal financial success or your family's financial success. They're not thinking about like, oh, they're going to be house poor and they're going to be able to take vacations. And they're going to like if their fucking car explodes, they're going to lose their job. They just know that like so it's so many things in life and this world is so fucking complicated and it changes all the time. You're going to be way better off just following expert consensus than, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, doing your own research and all that kind of stuff, um, especially since most people don't know how to fucking research things properly. Uh, yeah. So I, I it, it's it's wild because like also like what you said, it's like, well, how when are we going to get to the point where you don't have on field coaching? It's just all putting to a computer and like, I don't know that we want that in sports, but and, and I'm not sure we're ready for it in real life. Mm-hmm. because you know we had a lot of six we had a lot of experience with the planned economies in the 20th century and they didn't go too well but like what if there's a supercomputer that could accurately predict like demand curves for common household things and you know would make sure that we're not overproducing toilet paper or underproducing like are we ready to trust that to the the, the economy to that or would we rather just have like you know the quote-unquote free market settle it I don't know, but like those are those those are even more interesting questions to like the self-driving car thing. Yeah. You know, and also like when you look back in the last 20 years with all the different uh, recessions and market crashes and corrections, would a computer do a worse job? 
<laughs> you know, it's not like the computer doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be right. better, whatever statistical model or a thing. And like, you know, we don't have to like let the computer just completely do everything. But like, you know, like like Brad Pitt says at this point, it's like, do you trust this system? Do you trust this process? Because Jonah, like, he's like, God, Jesus, when we're giving away all these players, like, oh, my God, I don't know. Like, but like, that's the gut check. It's like, if you believe in this, then, you know, because if you don't, if you start. You know, if you start like trusting your gut or being scared, then you're giving away that statistical edge. You are no longer counting the cards. And that's when you get fucked. So so that line is weird that that line. There are hmm. a couple of like moments in this movie that don't quite hit like they should because they're sending mixed messages. And I think that's one of them, because the one of the embellishments they made in this movie is that J- Jeremy Giambi and Pena. I don't remember his first name. were not traded at the same time. The, the one was traded before the other. Mm. And in the movie, they're traded for very different reasons, right? Um, you could say that Pena is traded as a sacrifice to Moneyball, whereas Jeremy Giambi is traded in the exact opposite way. He's traded despite what Moneyball says. And so I yeah. feel like when you get to that moment where Brad Pitt asks, like, do you trust this process? He's talking about Pena, but he is not talking about Giambi. When you you need him, if he's asking that question, to be talking about both of them. And yeah. I, I feel like if they hadn't had him trade, they needed him to trade both because it's a punch, right? It's a punch to art. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. he's not trading just one player. He's trading two. Fuck, I, he's serious. But also, it doesn't work narratively with the question that he asked Jonah Hill. What do you think about Jonah Hill? Like this guy has transformed himself from like essentially stoner sitcom guy to like serious act. Was this the start of the turn? This um, is the first time he, I remember seeing him in anything serious. Yeah. And he's great, but he's doing he's he's still using all of his. He's just being this like uh, the straight man, you know, yeah. like uh, in the in the in the sitcom. But I thought he's really good. There's a couple scenes where, you know, he has to fire the player. And Brad Pitt, like, this is the good, you know, the the, the good advice, business advice he got mm-hmm. about, like, you know, keep it just one shot to the head rather than five shots to the chest. And like, I, he he's funny, but he, he does this. He does Wolf of Wall Street. And like of late, he's just been doing conventional kind of leading man stuff because he's transformed his body. He's worked on his craft. Um, a pretty interesting actor. Yeah, for sure. And. And I wonder, like, do we have because I, I saw him with Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is completely transformed in this film, too. Like, I didn't even recognize him the first couple seconds. I, I was like, holy shit, because yeah. he's playing the oldest, oldest, crustiest, curmudgeonly, you know, baseball manager that you've ever seen. And he's wearing, you know, I always thought that's funny, like baseball. It's the one sport where the coach dresses up like the fucking players. He's wearing the uniform <laughs> and he's got the athletic cup on. Like, come on, who? who, who oh, yeah. yeah. Why the cup? I mean, a straight ball. Lasorda, you never know. Fast, you're standing you're in belly the hanging out. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get a foul. <laughs> but uh, what do you think of uh, Jonah Hill? I, I think- like Jonah Hill. Um, I haven't always liked Jonah Hill, but I would say, yeah, he's got an impressive career at this point. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw him. That Netflix series he did, uh, the like one-off mini series about the the pills and the weird. Yeah, what was that? I, I can't remember the name of that. It had like a one-word name. Uh-huh. Was uh, it like, Maniac? Like, yeah, that I think that was it. 
maniac. Uh, that was cool. And that's maybe the last time I saw him do anything that I can remember. Yeah. I was actually looking at this thing too. The last few things I've seen him in and he's done a lot of voice work and stuff. Um, he's fantastic in Wolf of Wall Street. He's aside from Leonardo DiCaprio is probably the best part of that movie. He's pretty good in Hail. I remember him being pretty good in Hail Caesar. Um, I, don't I haven't seen like War Dogs. That. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's just uh, he's really good in this film, and it's just I, I like those guys that take that bend, like where they're not taken seriously. He's, this guy's kind of like one step away from being Chris Farley, and you know now he's been in some of the most interesting stuff we've we've seen in the last uh, decade or two. What do you think of Philip Seymour Speak, Hoffman? Speaking of, can, oh, can I just ahead. say, like, Jonah Hill's character in this, Peter Brandt, or whatever, Brand, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. He is himself an example of Moneyball, because yep. the Cleveland Indians have him, right, at the time. And he's yep. just sitting in a cubicle doing player analysis, but not the type... Every time he pipes up about Moneyball, they shut him down. Even though... He's in the room where it happens, right? He's in there and he's kind of calling the shots on this. They're just not listening to his overall philosophy. They just want his pick on a specific player. And so Brad Pitt comes in and recognizes that he's being underpaid and he the true value of Peter Brandt and then brings him over to uh, the Oakland A's. I thought that was a nice little microcosm of the whole thing. Yeah, he's undervalued uh-huh. because of the his pariah nature and... And how I guess the other thing is like how those environments um, are not conducive to new ideas. Like uh, even Brad Pitt, who wanted to hear his idea, he's very circumspect because he knows like how verboten this this knowledge is. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Philip Seymour Hoffman? Oh, like, he's great. I couldn't believe like who cast him in this movie. I mean, he can do anything, but who thought to like you know what? Fucking let's make him a a baseball manager. And shave his head. He looks just like the guy. I don't know if you saw a picture of the real. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I've, you know, he 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 could be anywhere. He's one of those old crusty dudes with the buzz cut that could, you know, he looks like Hank Hill's dad. He could be anywhere from fifty to ninety. Yeah, yeah. He's he's you know this was one of his last, you know, like not tippy tap last roles, but he he dies uh, less than three years later. Um. And he's just, uh, he's just amazing and everything. And he's so good at playing. Like I said, I don't think he's a bad guy. No, he's just trying to he's trying to maximize his value. And like this guy's doing some crazy shit and sticking him with the team that he doesn't believe in. And if it fa- fails, because that's the thing. He got all the credit, but he also mm-hmm. would have gotten a good part of the blame if he just unironically plays this guy's money ball strategy. Everybody would have hated sure. it. So, yeah, he, he said he's just trying to play a team that he can defend in interviews the next season. Yeah, because like, when I'm being interviewed this winter, and, yeah. I want to be able to say, well, you know, obviously I was dealt this bad hand and you know how that guy's. But I thought yeah. that he he played it because this guy is the closest thing to the film's got to a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could have really ramped up that. But I always felt this guy like, you know, he's he's playing hardball, but he kind of has to. Um, yeah. And then I, it's like, like the thing that the guy that he didn't is like the Brad Pitt character, like Billy Bean. Like, what the fuck are you playing, playing hardball? But I liked it. And I was very shocked and surprised when I saw him in this movie. The other guy um, I was shocked and surprised to see yeah. it was such a big part of this movie is Chris Pratt. Um, he's yeah. had a similar, you know, a varied run that like Jonah Hill has had where he, 
I guess was trying to be pretty serious. I, I read that during the interview or the auditions for this movie, they told Chris Pratt, Hey, you're just too big to play this, uh, baseball player. So he dropped 30 pounds and came back Holy after three shit. months and got the part. Okay. Cause he wasn't beefy. He was just kind of like baseball lanky in this movie for sure. And then he goes on to do uh, parks and rec was after this, right? I think so. Yeah. Or during, Ooh, no, it had dark. to be after. Yeah. It had to be after. Um, so then he goes, you know, and does, he does this drama and then he does this very, you know, comedic role and gains some weight back. I think this was in the middle. Like he was two seasons in to playing fat Andy Dwyer in oh. parks and rec. So he lost wow. the weight, gained the weight, then lost the weight and got buff. Cause that he, yeah. he, he, he didn't take the serious character actor. He went to the fucking buff dreamboat leading man, Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, career arc. Yeah, the Chris so many, so many men are taking today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kamel Nanjani following in his footsteps. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's wild just to see some of these guys in this earlier example of like serious work. When I think of them mostly as comedians, uh, another good casting is uh, the eighteen-year-old Brad Pitt. They got to play him. Uh, I didn't think it was much like when there's the close ups in the face, but there's this part where he's like walking with his head down in the rain and he's got like the Brad Pitt mannerisms because Brad Pitt is um he's like a lanky Timothy Oliphant type and he's got that kind mm-hmm. of a little bit of uh, Clint Eastwood strut to him and that kid nailed it. Like, yeah, I was amazed at how well how well he uh, he, he looked like an 18 year old Brad Pitt. Yeah, a, I think like, they a did a bad job casting for like the face i didn't i didn't think especially when you get to okay they start in 1979 yeah. with his recruitment and then they go uh-huh. to like 1989 or something he's got to be like almost 30 at that point and he mm-hmm. still doesn't look anything like brad pitt in the face i think they i think they could have done some brad just put brad pitt in the uniform when he's 30 like, i think you're so. right yeah he, he, he pulled off the 18 year old but uh other than that it was tough I thought there was a lot of good, just kind of like life advice. This felt like reading um, uh, a good kind of like good management book. Um, Cause I think those things are actually valuable. Like I learned a lot in the, like the different, like, you know, management junkets and like uh, professional career books that I've been recommended to read. But like, there's a lot of kind of like Sun Tzu, like, uh, you know, well, what if the other guys are bunting and all that? It's like, and they're making a mistake. Rejoice in the fact that your team, that the other team has given you a 7% you know it, 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 it advantage it's like if a vegas dealer is not reshuffling his shoe and you're counting cards like fuck you know whistle to the bank when they you see that stuff happening mm-hmm. um i thought that stuff there's like a little little bit of phrases here and there that um really get at the heart of like some leadership and management that i thought um was was pretty nice um it's not like i said the first half of this movie is not any way I would ever try to shepherd change into an organization, right? It's actually like how you want to get mistrust and internal division and sabotage. But like from the halfway point on, it's a really good way to show like how to build, you know, build your team up um, and build their confidence and get them on board the system uh, assure them. Cause like, again, ever, not every uh, bat's going to go your way. You're trying to go for the aggregate. you know, keep your eyes on the prize. It's not bad to take a walk. Uh, all that stuff was, uh, was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I guess I, 
think I know why this movie is so highly rated because it's got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it got nominated for six Academy Awards. Didn't win any, but um, Roger Ebert gave it like a perfect four-star review when he saw it. I think that comes down entirely, and I remember how I felt about this movie the first time I watched it, entirely to the concept, the core central idea of Moneyball and how well, you know, the, the screenwriters uh, sort of adapted that to the screen. I think that part works really well. Overall, I think this movie is mediocre um, because of the extra shit it tries to do. I just, Hmm. I think, you know, it, it sends mixed messages. It has this useless stuff with his daughter that they don't need anywhere near this movie. movie. Doesn't play Moneyball with the script, man. It should have like, it's like conventional wisdom. We can't have no conflict. He's got to have greater stakes. If he's just, you know, if he's just some kind of rich entitled dude that doesn't really care if he wins or loses, he's got to have his daughter, got to have his daughter on pins and needles about being homeless for going from GMing a a, a major league base, but just being out in the streets. He's got to be sweating this. He's, he's got to not stack up against ex-wife's new husband. He's got, no, to get like, rid of jettison all that. You got a much tighter, much better movie, and you can add a little bit more of the Moneyball stuff in, which I would have appreciated. Like I said, four yeah, hours, I, I could have done it. I wonder if you get rid of Brad Pitt if that if if the movie looks like that because you're right. I think he is probably twenty percent of the movie's budget. Yeah, and this became a mid level big budget because of his presence in it, which probably helps in a lot of things, marketing and all that kind of stuff. But like. If you get someone a little less expensive, maybe the studio doesn't push you to like, well, Brad Pitt's good looking. He's got to have this relationship. He's got to do this and or no one's going to care. And if it's just, you know, um, because, yeah, ironically, the studio conventional wisdom, I think, made this movie. I, I think you're being harsh saying it's mediocre because there's a lot of like great shots and good filmmaking. And the fact that this is a dry fucking subject, like that's, that's you know, this is mean, essentially yeah. a bunch of formulas and. Mm-hmm you know, science, scientific, uh, programming jargon, you know, writing shit in Pascal and Fortran and stuff. Like it's very boring. It's kind of like, it could um, be. Yeah. Uh, the way that I, I thought it's as, it's as good as what it was doing is like the social network was showing mm-hmm. like, you know, the spirit of hacking and, and hacking in the sense of just like kicking around code, not like breaking into things. Yeah. Um, I thought it was, that good of showing this these charismatic people doing this very interesting and obscure thing and like helping people understand what it was about the old way of doing things and how this came into clash like there's a lot of just this being in the fabric of the film and be pretty effortless um i think it's hard it's hard to make this inherently interesting especially since it is this is a nothing burger this is not rags the riches this isn't you know bad news bears that win the world series this isn't it's it's kind of a it ends in a bummer but yeah yeah i, I, I think yeah. they do a great job with that core concept i just wish they wouldn't have tried I don't, and sorkin does this right like sorkin's kind of mo is he takes these very heady very difficult to convey or adapt to the screen concepts and runs with them and then adds the human drama. Like he tried to do it in uh, social network by framing the whole thing around the friendship of Mark Zuckerberg and what's his fuck. Um, it, 
or getting spurned by the girl, which didn't really happen. You know? yeah, yeah. And some of that works. I, I feel like it's not his strong suit. His strong suit is translating very heady material into exciting drama in, in and of its own right. And I wish he would have stuck more to that in this movie and less of injecting the, the weird daughter stuff, the mixed messages. I, I think like, there's a weird title card in the middle of this movie that just says the streak when the like title cards haven't been a part of this movie ever. And it just kind of yeah. comes out of nowhere. There's a lot of strange stuff in this movie that doesn't quite line up that just could have been done a little bit better. And to me, that means, you know, it, it all pans out to about a six out of 10 for me. All right. Well, fair enough. Like I said, I, th- I thought it was pretty good from a life instruction from just a well acted, performed and shot movie. Like, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff like multiple, you know, layers of, of isolation and lighting. They're doing good things just at the set and setting to kind of show like how ramshackle an outfit is versus how sophisticated another one is. And, you know, lots of famous the Sorkin walk and talks are all fucking in this movie. Like yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll get really familiar with the, the few yards of corridors in between the locker room and the coach's room and the train. And the, you know, the training room and the, all that stuff, the sports medicine room, like the, yeah, this is like 30% of the movie takes place trans on foot going from one of those scenes to another. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it's also, like I said, this is this concept of Moneyball is transforming a lot of things in society. In fact, um, this advanced metrics, um, you know, has really exploded the stock market in the last few years because a lot of these trades are now being done by sophisticated learning algorithms that miss, yeah. you know, that, that get these fractional advantages on, you know, you know, fractional percentage points bouncing this way and just generating money out of nothing. Um, and trading which, so fast that literally if you're not next door to the New York Stock Exchange, you're mm-hmm. not getting your order in fast enough to take advantage of the best trades, which, like I said, I don't know how I feel about that, because like I yeah. never I was never one of the ones in the stock market say, oh, it's fake money and all that kind of stuff. But when you're doing some of this stuff where you're deriving value on margin calls and, you know, some of the more and, and again, just taking advantage of just like just tiny slivers of benefit to generate wealth without value. I worry We're literally about talking about the speed of light, the difference between the speed of light from your house uh, mm-hmm. 2000 miles away to, mm-hmm. you know, being next door to the, the building. It's yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, there's a, there's a lot to unpack here to, to help you understand things that we're going through. It's also, again, you know, how to shepherd a controversial thing through a community and get buy-in. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in this movie and I think it's well worth watching and it's entertaining too. Like it's over two hours, but I, if I didn't know that going in, I'd have felt it was like a breezy 90 because even, even when it's like the whole movie's slow and talky, but it's just really fascinating and interesting for Um, sure. And I don't. I'll, here's the other things. I don't give a shit about baseball. Like I like basketball. I really like football, but I've never given a shit about basketball, baseball, but like I knew enough to, you know, not, not even really like the, the movie does enough to help me understand how these stats apply to this game and how it's the old way versus the new way that I found it pretty easy to follow. Even if I couldn't explain to you how, what exactly happened, I knew kind of in the same way a good movie can sell you on action without mm-hmm. you knowing, you know, necessarily where everything is and what's happening it's just you kind of get the feel and the flow and i feel like the movie does a really good job of keeping you in that flow of being a a fast talking hustling you know baseball gm that's always looking for an angle Mm -hmm. 
So that's us looking back at Moneyball 10 years into the past. I'm this is something I've been wanting to watch for a long time uh, and I finally got a chance to. So I'm glad about that. Hope you guys enjoyed this prestige film. We'll be back next week. I'm not sure what we're doing because we're recording this in advance for the the anniversary, but uh, we will have something prestigious, something that doesn't involve ray guns and zombies and uh, medieval times, unless it's a really good A24 film. True. Or Stanley Kubrick made it. Mm-hmm. Then it might have spaceships. We'll see. But probably not on the next Prestige. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. I'll see ya.